Welcome back, everyone. Episode 53 is here. This is AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Let's start off as usual with a few housekeeping bits. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore AIR podcast or subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash AIR podcast. We've also got a Substack newsletter now where I'll share new episodes as well as some thoughts on the latest guest. You can subscribe at airpodcast.substack.com. These links are also in the description below. On to this month's episode where I'm joined by Italian producer, DJ, and live performer Giuseppe Tiliecci, also known as Neil. true craftsman in every sense of the word, Neil is a techno mainstay, not only as a DJ and a solo producer whose work has been released on Token Records, Spectrum Spools, and Spazio Disponibile, but also as a live performer, best known for his expertly designed ambient journeys, showcasing masterful technique and thoughtful artistry. This skill set is especially celebrated in his work with Donato Dazi as Voices from the Lake. But even if you're not familiar with his work, you've almost certainly listened to a record he had a hand in. A mastering engineer for over a decade, his studio and his lab has over 400 credits on Discogs, including landmark albums by Deep Chord, Pauline Oliveros, Abdullah Rashim, DJ Nobu, Atom TM, Mike Parker, Katerina Barbieri, and of course, Neil's own work. In this conversation, Neil and I get deep on mastering and the evolution of his technical craft, his ears, and his artistry, as well as how each of his creative fields inform one another. Giuseppe, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to chatting. You're welcome. So I'm looking forward to. So together we've kind of agreed to talk about mastering as a starting point, but also to see how that relates to the rest of your creative life. Um, but maybe just to start, we can talk a bit about, in your own words for people who are listening who aren't aware, what exactly is mastering? Well, <laughs> uh, mastering... Um, it's uh, the end of a process that, uh, which is based off the music production. So without going on the technicism, basically the mastering process is something that has to uh, make a track sonically perfect in order to be play out with any support you have or any on any media. Of mm-hmm. course, different mastering shaped by media, but the goal of the mastering is to make the sounds specifically for the media which is going to be produced okay. and try to get the best sounds possible in order to have uh, quality even if you produce with a commercial or basic 
speakers, let's say, mm -hmm. or audio system, or our 50k sound system. This is what is mastering in general. This work comes from master. The mastering in terms of the beginning of the production was on uh, vinyl many, many, many years ago, last century. Uh, the master was the first, actually, the lacquer, the first records which was acetated, which was cut on from tape, was arriving on this uh, record, which was a metal disc, let's mm -hmm. say. And from there was starting all the production, the different process, and then the production of the records that we know. Over the years, this changed, of course. Inside the mastering, let's say, there is all the, what we know about the uh, science of sounds. Everything is into mastering. Depends by the approach. Mm -hmm. I have my own approach, which I don't even know if it's the right one or it's not the good, the, the, the perfect one, but it works for me and it seems it works for all the people who works with me, basically. Mm -hmm. There is not a way to do it. Right. Uh, I mean, there is a kind of machine that you use for, uh, in, in, on mastering. But it's the same thing like when you do music. There is synthesizer, drum machines, and there are many of them. So you use all of them. You have just to understand why you're listening to something, what you should do and why you should do, and what kind of machine is the best to use in order to reach what you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And be transparent. This is just like standard general things. Uh, one definition that I've heard is that it's the adding of the final touches that really make a difference in quality control from a separate set of ears that are well trained in a room that's designed, you know, exactly for this one purpose. Um, do those? Does that kind of resonate with you? Uh, yeah, I mean, in order to to make this, there are three important points. The first one is the room, mm -hmm. which should be treated according to what you are doing inside. Again, if depends, I mean, if you do mastering, it means that you have, let's say, a very nice speakers because mm. you need to have a, a flat response to hear everything. And usually a room, it's also treated according to the frequency, but also what kind of speakers you have. It depends what you do. But the most important are your ears. Because any machine or any speakers you can have, they can be the best. Mm -hmm. But it's always the man behind machines, everything. So a machine can be a stupid things. If you don't do anything, the machine is not doing anything. You need to understand what you're doing. You need to recognize what you do. For me, it's like you have to see what human people, they can't see. Because you, we don't see the sounds. Somehow you have to see... Where is the problem? What is the frequency? You have to ear training. I don't know if it's hard or, diff or easy. For me, it was not difficult. Right. <laughs> but it came not in a way that uh, I, I never put myself, ah, I need to ear training myself. Oh, this is 200 hertz, this is 1 kilohertz. The, my path comes from different way. I was going to say, it sounds like adding those kind of final touches or those really small details are probably really difficult to, for untrained ears to even notice or hear? Like, would you say that um, somebody who's just, you know, a regular person <laughs> would kind of have trouble distinguishing what exactly has changed in an unmastered versus a mastered track? 
Well, uh, it's not even a, it's not about uh, like uh, like normal people who can hear the difference. In order to have a difference, you have to hear a comparison between A and B. So if you only hear a final product, whatever if it's good or not, you can you can say only of your pers personal perspective in terms of uh, taste mm. if it's good or not. But you cannot know if. Uh, is there is changing or not because in order to hear difference you have to see uh, what was uh, this uh, piece of music at a, at mixed down let's say stage mm -hmm. and then how mastering elevate this track uh, so the only people who can know the difference basically most of the time are all the artists or air manager or label and artist together. Mm -hmm. They know the difference because they know from where they are starting and they get the result from you. Just two answers ago, you mentioned that you didn't feel like training your ears in that way was something that was really difficult. Like you didn't really have to try. Am I understanding correctly? Like you didn't have any kind of sort of training that you went through? No, no, I never went to any training and I know that, that I guess I guess it's difficult because I have people that are studying, friends of mine who are studying at conservatory mm. and they have an excellent which is ear training and at least they try, everyone try at least twice to do it. For me it was, um, I don't know, I, I think this starts uh, 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 when I was just a kid. When I was kids for me it was weird to see people talking, moving the mouth, hearing something and didn't see anything. Mm. It was just insane for me and <laughs> I couldn't explain this. And I remember I was really uh, talking every day, asking to my mom this. My mom was getting crazy because she, she didn't know an answer of this, of course. And, you know, she was really, really literally like so mad. So <laughs> it's like this. That's it, you know. <laughs> and uh, when I was kids, I decided that I have to control this somehow. So I just was experimenting with sounds since I was kids just starting to... I was living in a, in a small village in South Italy. There was nothing. I mean, my first mixer, there was no shop to buy a mixer. <laughs> and with a friend of mine who is now, he's an engineer. We, we bought like a, um, a kit and I built my mixer. I was 10 years old. So we <laughs> built the mixer, wow. you know, and there was nothing, you know. I was really get uh, so interesting about anything from nature for them. And... It's it's uh, it's easy now for me to talk about that because uh, it's like working on a pers on my past and I, you are able to to see it. But for me, it was just normal. I was really going into the depth of each everything I was hearing. The mastering and the production music they basically came up together for me. Uh, of I was DJing since while I while before mm -hmm. DJing. It's the only only thing that I separate for these kind of uh, realms let's say but uh, music production and mastering they come from uh, uh, the same page right then they developed on a different path but they they come from the same thing they on on my route they have the same uh, they they have the same seat mm. and so what led you to opening your mastering studio anis lab in 2011 i think it was 
yes, it was 2011, mm. right. Uh, I, I was always fascinated about sounds in general. So I was researching, making music, and uh, not in a way because it, it even can sound cheesy what I'm saying, you know, because every, <laughs> every musician, I guess, it's uh, into research of sounds. Mm -hmm. My research was a little bit different, which is not means that it was better or, or not. It was not only to research something that was uh, make me excited. Mm -hmm. It was more also about I have a sound in my mind. I want to be able to translate this idea into music. Mm -hmm. So I have these sounds and I want to do. Even before knowing what is a synthesis, how to do, I was trying to experiment by myself. And not only the, the other page of this research for me was the control of the sounds. Mm -hmm. So it was not only have uh, the idea of what kind of sound I want to do it, but also what this sound should do it, mm. how it has to move. And I started to work on this when I was really young. I didn't know even that what I'm talking about, it's more like psychoacoustic. Mm -hmm. I arrived later on this page, but I noticed that I was already on this. I was already doing that. So for me, when I was reading the first books of psychoacoustic, I was reading something that I already know, and I was thinking, oh, these things, it's called like that. <laughs> right. So I already know, you know, and, and then, you know, these things, it was reading some, of course, not everything I know, but when you discover something on a book, that it's something that you already know, you get even more excited about it. And you understand that, wow, you are on, on the good path mm. without knowing. So go, go on. Go further, you know, that way you go even further, further and deepen what you're doing. What you mentioned about your interest in sound design and wanting that little piece of control of what the sound is going to do, how does that then translate into, you know, with mastering when you're working with somebody else's vision of their sound? Well, um, this is the point. Usually, the if we go back when I said the definition of mastering, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and we said that it's sonically need to be perfect. So the mastering work usually, it must be transparent. So something that only maybe the artist can know if you do kind of upgrade, but you don't have to change the idea of the track, the vibe, how we can call it, the dynamic of a track, so you cannot change. It's just like it's, it's like you are getting a book and you are just mixing the chapter of a book. And then the meaning of the book can be completely different. But being transparent for me, it's, uh, it's a specific word, but at the same time it can be too general. It depends, you know, how you can use it. So being transparent for me means respect the idea of the artist. Mm. But what I do usually, I get the music from an artist. And the first thing I do it's uh, a critical listening. Mm -hmm. I want to listen to it, not only to help the artist if there is some problem, but to understand what is the idea of the artist behind this piece of music and understand what is missing here. I'm not talking about the classic uh, technicism that you can fix it, oh, there is too bad, too, it's too basic. This is, can be fixed. But okay, this piece of music is here, where we can go with this by following the artist and that it's the creativity part come which for my personal opinion mastering for what i do is the 95 percent five percent is 
technologies. I, I, sometimes you hear the people saying, I'm, I'm hearing something that I was not hearing before. <laughs> you know, and it's just the way that they don't say you change nothing. They are only super happy. So that means that you really married the idea of the artist and you just push 10 times more. And that's, that's something that uh, make you happy. It's the, in the same way, like kind of, uh, my master is between classic master and a, not a remix, but uh, an interpretation. So um, Enislab has mastered something like 400 records. You've got absolutely loads of credits on your discogs, um, including a lot of artists that I really love, Rico, Abdullah Rashim, Atom TM, Clay Wilson, Patrick Russell, Pauline Oliveros, uh, just to name a few. So can you talk a bit about what kind of rewarding experiences you've had in terms of uh, working with somebody on one of their projects? Like, is there an artist that you really admired whose work you were really excited to spend time with in this way? Well, there was, uh, there are many Many, many. I remember. But well, can't can't forget the first ever, the first one I master when I just be. I think was even before opening the studio because before officially opening the studio, I was already making mastery. Mm-hmm. So there was a moment that they did the master for uh, a rock model for Deep Court, which is you know. I mean, I was. I mean, it, it, that. I mean, I think a uh, few months before. They called the Necrospace was album of the year. You know, I get this super dubby and spacey and bass music somehow, super with this huge sub frequencies. Hmm. At that time, I didn't have the studio I have today. I didn't have the speaker that they support me to hear that kind of frequencies. So I was spending the time, just go back to what I was saying before seeing what we are not able to see. So I was like, see the frequencies. And I know that there was something going, even I was not able to hear because the speaker were not able to reproduce them. I know it was there. Because by watching analog spectrum uh, frequencies and stuff, and then I did it. And Ron was super happy with all that. That was, you know, for me, was a very big achievement and also kind of statements because mm. it was uh, big artists come to you with a specific sounds because every one of us who is making music grew up with that kind of sound, not only difficult, but if we think about Basque channel, you know, every one of us knows has this in our, in our path. Arriving to work on something like that for the first time uh, with uh, commercial facilities, basically, that was uh, a big aim for me. I can't forget it, you know, taking a big risk, you know, because you was young and so it can be like somewhere like, okay, you, you made, in Italy we say, you made the step uh, bigger than, than you are uh-huh. somehow, no? <laughs> and actually it works. So it was always try to, treating everything with the, being polite with the music of the art and respect and bring a lot of respect to the music and to the artist. In these years we did a lot of records. What is only on discogs is not everything because wow. I, I don't have anyone who is going to check <laughs> if sure. all the credits are writing. A lot of people didn't write the credits, uh, but it's at least like probably two, three hundred even more. There was one time that uh, I was working uh, uh, on a piece of music of an artist that I can't say the name, but was really, it's really an amazing artist and he did this amazing piece of music 
but the sounds of original was not okay at all. Huh. Not okay at all in a way that, um, I mean, you can't use it. And there was no time. In a humble way, I said, okay, there is no time. I thought I was so young and I said, okay, I, I need to help this project. And I just started to work on this track, just like building a parallel tracks following the original uh-huh. and, and then blend them together. And here we go. <laughs> we came with the track. And did he like it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he loved it. He like, how you could do it? He didn't even notice at the beginning that... Uh, I just did something by myself and then I blend them together because, you know, I just uh, went into the original one and this kind of specific uh, um, uh, step, uh, that is something that I really bring with me because it's uh, intuition and creativity at the same time. It's not so easy to have an intuition and then um, create something similar or basically the same of an artist. Mm-hmm. In that moment, you have to be himself or herself. It's not about what kind of synth he is, what kind of note he did. No, it's just understand the feeling of the artist and get into it. And this this kind of things I notice that I have when I perform, let's say, live, when I improvise live with other artists. We just come on stage and we do it it's it's the same thing it's the same seed but different path but so do you have to or does it help if you love the genre of music or if you like the track i think it's uh it this 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 is uh, uh it's i think it's a completely reasonable uh in the, but this is in the moment uh, uh, you are making, uh, you are putting an adding value, doing a kind of co-produ- uh, hidden co-production, because you can add something by yourself mm-hmm. in the tracks that it's missing, and of course this is coming if you know the kind of music genre and then you know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Of course, if I'm mastering a piece of punk, I don't think so. Oh, I need to hear another line of guitars, you know. Uh, this kind of stuff. So in that way, you know how it sounds. In that way, I can do the best mastering I can deliver, but in order being also mastering engineering. When we talk about electronic music from ambient to drum and bass, because uh, I listen to this music, I listen to everything of this. I was in the past also drum and bass DJs and techno and house music. I, I know all of them and I keep on buying and listening. So I know how to move on this. Mm. Uh, and it's in electronic music it's more easy than uh, different music but at the same time electronic music give you the room to change something while the acoustic music punk rock classical music or jazz music they they don't give you room in, in like in terms of sounds but they give you maybe room in terms of not even like rock and punk but jazz music especially classical music you can really give a, a very nice piece of music when you work on the special sounds. Mm-hmm. Especially today, when most of the music you're listening, it's mostly digital. Talking in digital domain, you have a lot of things that you can do it because uh, the, the vinyl, let's say, has some restriction in terms of uh, frequency or sound image. Mm-hmm. For the rest, you can be completely open. 
So you work on a different kind of things that you cannot touch the music, but you make the music on a listening, let's say, um, to in improve the listening and the experience for the people who are going to listen to it. So how does all of that change when you're working with someone like Donato on his records or on your own collaborative records for Voices from the Lake? Uh, is that more difficult or maybe that's easier? No, that's, uh, it's, uh, we, I mean, with Donato, it's everything is so easy because we know each other a, a, a lot. Even if I'm working, it doesn't, there is no difference if I, if we work together in, in our piece of music or, or, or I work on his music. Mm. I know him really well. There is nothing that, um, doesn't make anything difficult. So when we do music, or even when we play live, we don't talk on stage. We just listen to each other and he knows what I'm doing and he knows where I'm, I'm going. And same for me when he's playing something. And that is the same when we work music. What about when you're working on your own music, um, which obviously you've done many times, but I'm thinking most notably on your first album, Phobos, which came out on Spectrum Spools in 2014. Um, so was there a kind of transitional moment for you going from like artist working on the album to then mastering engineer working on the album? Uh, Phobos was uh, a big job big job because the work I worked in Pobos more or less two years. very proud of that work because it was uh, the research, research of myself which for me was something that I was making for myself and, and not to be released but somehow you know it's, it went in that way and I'm happy for it. That time came when I was also discovering a new way of making music more like modular so which gave me more uh, freedom on doing music because the, uh, there is no architecture on sounds. You have to build your own sounds mm -hmm. and your own synth on everything. Uh, it was a different time. I was having even more time. When I started to do mastering and making music and traveling and gigs, I, uh, I thought that both things, they can come together. It's mastering can be a job somehow, an ordinary job, let's say, but it's still connected to music. So I'm not like a lawyer, you know, mm -hmm. and then in the night I have to do techno, so changing my <laughs> mind. I thought, but it's not like this. Really? It's even worse <laughs> because, I mean, consider like um, if you stay one day in a studio, let's say, and then today you are making mastering and then you master, let's say all today, you mastering um, techno or dancehall music. So with a kick. So after eight hours. The last thing you want to hear is another kick. Mm -hmm. Or even hearing music, you need to rest your ears. 
So it's, uh, it was difficult to go back from a day around mastering and the day after. I said, okay, today I'm free day, I'm going to make music. No, it's not working like this. Mm. Since first, because creativity is not like a button that you turn on and off. You have to deal and manage these kind of things. You know, sometimes you get even frustrated because you see like that you're working on mastering and at sometimes you have a lot of ideas that you're keeping inside because you don't have the time to do it. It's like you are um, uh, not really taking care of what you should do. It. So it's more related with balance. And when I did Phobos, Phobos was about research of sounds. And as I said before, the same seeds. It's, if I have to say what make more inf influence on, on a realm, I think was more like the, the creativity and production side influenced more the mastering side hmm. and not the opposite. Okay. I have the same approach on mastering that I had since I produced music and produced music has come from before and consider it music production and mastering, they, I, we can say that they grew up together. Because before start of making mastering and making even officially with the studio, I was of course producing music, but not a, not just like uh, starting. So since 2009, 2010, I start to make these kind of things being my life. And both things, they were together. So they grew up together. And when they were up, considered 2010, 2011, 12 was this, uh, the, the years of Voices from the Lake mm -hmm. when it starts. So a big production. It was more production than mastering. And so the way I produce music, the way that I look for a sounds, I mean, you can hear on Voices, the research of the sound itself is completely different for that time, you know. And uh, that was the kind of goal that I wanted since. And we were spending a lot of time on research the something completely new and this is something that also i brought on on phobos because phobos was you know the, the narrative was this moon of mars mm -hmm. which the, there is this person who arrived there was traveling on this moon so the sounds that you should hear this should be the sound that you never heard before in and that time that time came or the research of sounds how to breathe with the sounds so, you know be minimal but have all the let's say the palette of spectrum of what we can hear always full but not be annoying making a kind of temporal trip and voyage something that you can if you listen to with the headphones and when it finished and you take out the headphones it should be like uh, the time was stopped for you somehow just like a completely immersive that was the goal that i was uh, trying to do it and it came because uh, that's something that I really love to do it. And it's uh, something that I really make it with a lot of dedication. Mm. You mentioned that um, your production and live performance is more influencing your mastering than the other way around. But I wonder if um, your technical skills as a sound engineer give you the ability to kind of create sounds or create a, a vibe or create a kind of a immersiveness that you wouldn't be able to if you didn't have the, that kind of foundation, if that makes sense? Yeah, I understood what we No, no, no. I, and it's, uh, it's reasonable what you say, but uh, it was basically the, the opposite. Mm -hmm. you know? As I said before, I was, uh, for me, the researching was making experiment with sound, make something that excites me, so new, but at the same time to control it. Not only make it, but 
has to do this thing. So I want to hear it, but I want that this sound, I have the feeling that it's coming from the back. Right. So while doing this, this brought me also on mastering that there is a problem. And on mastering, mostly you have a stereophile. I don't have uh, different parts. There is a way that it's called stem master, but basically it's a stereophile, which there is all the information. And if you have to do some modification, it's hard, you know, because if you cut apart, you cut everything. But the way that make me to control, sometimes, you know, I do completely different kind of technique that I develop uh, in the moment there, hmm. because I know what I have to do and I just follow the idea what I have to do. Doesn't matter the way I do in, if I don't make damage on the sounds or, or on the temporal time, because, you know, sounds is always considered always that sounds is always traveling in all the process you do, uh -huh. even if it's digital or even if it's analog. So you take a, you take these sounds, it's going in this machine, then it's going in this machine and so on. You have to consider this in order to don't change the phase of a sound which then can make a damage. So if you respect the basic theory, then you are free to do whatever you want. I never liked comfort zone. Uh -huh. Never I did it always. I, I, I never saved even, ah, it developed something and I save it, like a technique. It's done for that, you know, I always need to give, I don't like to repeat myself, even when I do work on music for other people. Sure. I mean, is there also a bit of like you, you've you've mentioned the word control a couple times? Um, I I feel I feel like you 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 know you could have certainly asked somebody else to master <laughs> or mix your album for you, but it seems like you know what you want to do and you want to do it the right way, so you'll do it yourself. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I did by myself, but I, I have I had this question a few times, uh, and. Uh, Sometimes I also, I, to be honest, I felt like, uh, oh, just, uh, I, I feel a little bit, you know, too, probably, if it, maybe, maybe feel arrogant for this. Sometimes I felt because <laughs> I, I never, I never, honestly, I never felt this kind of things. Like I want to master, I don't trust anyone. Sure. Uh, uh, it's the way I work, basically, on my own music. You know, normal people, the artists, when they do music, they finish and they have this mix, which is not finished. My tracks, when I when it's done, it's already done. Mm. It doesn't need the mastering. I just, when I do the mastering right. of my track, I actually fix it if it's in a virus together with the other one. Mm -hmm. So if we take about Phobos, Phobos was already done because for me, a piece of music is finished when I, when reach the the end and the mm -hmm. end is the mastering is already there i right. i always uh, worked on my own music and also my own project except uh, lf58 project which was uh, mastered by noel which is a really big mastering engine since many many years i mastered everything from otaku to prodigies everyone and uh, I sent, I was okay to do that because I was happy with what I did it, the result for our project. Mm -hmm. When he received the project, he said, everything is fine here. <laughs> he just had to, to transfer the file, you know, just copy uh, on the lab, on the computer, and then just, you know, track into the master lacquer. Because this is the way I personally work. Uh, it's my, my, my workflow. 
Yeah, I was going to ask actually if it's less work for you to, well, maybe not less work, but maybe you have this kind of process where you're kind of editing yourself at the same time as you're working. So in the end, like you said, you just have the final product instead of having to have an, an extra step. The thing is that on my own music, uh, the kind of uh, question or point you can put uh, or can come up uh, on a, in, in the mastering process, for my personal music, uh, when I do in my workflow, th this kind of point, they, they, they come before. Mm -hmm. I don't arrive uh, on a point that I consider track finish and there is some... Uh, uh, classic uh, mastering issue can be resonant uh, point, muddy frequencies or stereo image. It's all done. Mm -hmm. Because this is also for what, how I am, and this is probably influence. Already when I'm making a sound, I already, I already fix the sounds on everything. Um, one of my latest uh, records I did, it's uh, on series is, a, tr is a, a record made with a drum machine. It's only a drum machine. It's uh, taking this small drum machine and recording live, four tracks, completely live. There was even some videos of these tracks. That's it, how I recorded, that's the track. And that was not sent to master. They didn't need to be mastered because I work on a way that when I record the tracks, that was the track. Mm. So the sounds at the first stage was already tweaked in the way I wanted, the way how to should sound. So, so I, they are not divided. So it's the same thing for me. Right. And so is there ever a point where you have to ask for help with these kinds of things? Like I know for me, for example, sometimes if I'm reading something over, I can read it a million times and I still won't find every typo because my eyes just like get used to seeing it in a certain way. Like, is it the same with your ears that they get used to hearing it in a certain way? What I said so far doesn't mean that you don't... Uh... Uh, discuss about something with uh, people, doesn't matter if they are a mastering engineer, needs people who know what you are talking about in general. Mm. As I said before, I never go in a nerdy way on talking because I'm not the guy, I know this version 2.1 <laughs> said, eh? So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I use my basic stuff and then it's, I, I work on this way. There is a point that, of course, I... I had like my eye, my eyes was let's say blank. You know, I remember when I started for to make a mastering, prepare a mastering for a vinyl records, which is mm -hmm. uh, not the same if you're just doing a mastering. That has to follow some specific. So I was talking who with the people who do this kind of stuff from twenty years, and usually they cut the record. How should they deliver a file? Why should they deliver like that? Why sometimes you can have like the vinyl version of a track that sounds horrible, but then when this version is going to be tracked into the record, it sounds, it sounds fantastic. Hmm. Because there is some kind of frequencies that you have to boost because the, the vinyl itself has a gap. So if you boost it when it's going to record, it's flat, mm -hmm. you know? Just uh, there is something that you don't know and then you have to talk because it's impossible to think that you are able to do everything. When you are doing an experiment, you experiment, that is fantastic. But when you have to professional way, you have to deliver something, you know, and needs to be done proper, you need to uh, recognize with yourself what is your limit on your knowledge. And there will be many books that you can read it, but the experience 
is the most important thing. So there is not, nothing more important than to talk to some, someone who has experience. Imagine like uh, you can make a course of uh, music production or you can spend a day talking with Adam Tien. Uh -huh. <laughs> so what is the best of your life? I think just talking one day with him, it's like reading um, 10 books of course. about that. Of course. For my personal opinion, no? a bit about your creative process in general as an artist um, and maybe how you're how you're pushing your own boundaries uh, and a bit about how your sound and your way of thinking about music has evolved over the past years yeah my creativity side on production I have to say change over the years mm -hmm. and sometimes it's also changed and I um, was forced to change because usually like uh, the process is changing by an artist that reach a certain level and then wants to do something else and this is uh, the classic let's say path that uh, amazing path to be an artist you know you need to evolve yourself for me it started a different way you know and the things that I was also working in the studio having the studio the mastering studio influenced quite a lot I have to say in a negative way hmm. because the master was taking so much time and not just that uh, physically. So let's say in five days per week, uh, I was working four days, not that way. You couldn't even work like only two days for a week on mastering. But then you need, the, uh, this is I understood later, you need a day even off of this because you can go in the same studio, but it's like you're going for the first time. You play with the mm. machine and you don't understand if you're doing good or not because you are not connected. Because the masterings bring you to have a kind of being creative, but have always a kind of wall between you and the artist. You are not making music. You are treating music for someone else. So you have kind of freedom, but you have a limit that you cannot cross. So uh, this was taking a lot of time for me. And, and I was feeling, as I said before, frustrated on doing music. So. I have to, mm -hmm. to find a way to get excited, to put some chili on something to make me to make <laughs> music. So what I start, I start to have a lot of uh, gear and machine. I start to discipline myself, just focused on a few things, just like two instruments. And okay, now I want to play with these two instruments. So this is what's good because at some times you were, you were getting the best out of only two machines. But at some times you are make me focus only on that. And, and I was just playing around with it. What I was feeling at the moment, to feel good with myself. It doesn't matter if it was an amazing piece of ambient music or inspiring techno or a classic techno. It doesn't matter. If I was having fun on doing, that was something that really was working for me was more like a kind of a therapeutic things for me in that moment. 
over the years, what I after the years of uh, Phobos uh, or uh, Voices or even LF58, uh, my approach changed in a different way. Be more minimalistic, uh, but be really subtle into into sounds. You can hear something that. Uh, at first impact, if you hear it just like this, can be even monotone or repetitive, which is not. There is a lot of polymeters and different modulation on the back. It's work more on a kind of a background. And also the experience with the circle of life mm -hmm. and then LF58 as well. Uh, this bring me also to be on, a, on stage completely freedom. Before I was used to be on a stage, I don't know, with Donato or with Filippo. And uh, uh, with Donato, uh, we, I grew up also together, not being live, you know. So I was making some live by myself before. Mm -hmm. And we started to do live together for, uh, and on a professional way. For him, it was the first time. And for me, we can say the same. So, and then we start to have been confident and also step by step also step out for uh, what is a, a classic live set and improvise, give more chance to improvise. The circle of life for me was a big challenge because you arrive on a stage with three artists that you never perform. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you are bringing. They don't know what they are bringing and just I have to jam. There is all, all everything you knew in the past. Now you, you are putting on a stage and learning even more. So the same thing like when you play and then you are able to do something on a temporary way and it's fantastic. I decide that I want to try to bring these things also on the music production, which usually, you know, it's sitting down in a studio, be more, you not know, like calm down. I'm, I never had the feeling to make music using the MIDI, like with the square. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I lose myself completely. I lose the idea after two minutes, I don't know what I'm doing. I need knobs, I need to touch something, I need a physical approach on what I'm doing. And this is what I try to, to, bring the, uh, to bring on my music production. At the top of that answer, you mentioned that when you're in a kind of mastering head, you have this kind of wall between you and the artist side mm -hmm. and that you, you'd done all this work to get yourself excited about making music again. But I wonder if you also had to do something in order to kind of get back in touch with the more emotional side of things so that you could create in a more emotional way. Exactly. That's also... Uh, you went straight to the point. Uh, when I was saying before, you have a boundaries. Um, the approach of doing for me, it's, it's creative. But at the same time, you, you have a limitation. You have a piece of music which is well done. And you have just to develop or just uh, putting the, um, uh, some air. Make it fly. Make these tracks to fly somehow. But it's done. The creativity there is develop the idea and then how to develop and do it. Of course, it's a goal for you. Mm -hmm. You need to be also very cold to have this approach, you know, because at the same time while you are doing, you, you have one side of you who is creative and it's lunch to do that kind of things. And the other side needs to be the critics, the critical side to understand what's going on and you know, like to stay there and understand, okay, you are not going over, you are staying in the, in, your, in the safe zone, you are not, or it's working or not. So 
this make me to be a little bit of automa on working and being fast but stop the emotion Ma when you do mastering you are always critical at the same time creative and critical was at the same time it's like the two sides of your brain they work together mm. so that's make you to be a really really tired at the end yeah i can imagine and and this there is no emotion in on, on 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 it you know because you you cannot get uh, uh involved somehow because if you get involved you lose the point while you are going there and so what about when it comes to live performance you know you you just said that um you can't just like switch it off, switch off this kind of technical side uh, necessarily. So how does that work when you have to perform and you kind of have to switch off that technical side? You know, maybe you've been doing sound check and you're thinking about how, how everything sounds and then you have to switch on your kind of performance hat. How is that for you? Uh, well, that's, that's a cl like a classic musician, I have to say. And I have... Um, over the last years, on the performance-wise, I was performing by myself or with Circle of Life. And that was something that for me was really uh, the best mm -hmm. therapy ever, especially the long journey with, uh, with the Circle of Life. That is uh, the kind of thing that I arrived there. I just decided what instrument I want to bring it. Sometimes, sometimes I, I take my time, especially, let's say, with the modular, and then I design my instrument. So what uh, what's the modules I wanted? Then I just connect everything and I start to play around to see. And already when you play around, if, it's, if you feel comfortable, already something cool is coming up. The first thing I do, it's just mm -hmm. shut down <laughs> everything for one reason. Because imagine like when, when you just plug a setup and you start to do something, the first thing, you know, you even if it's techno, you don't start like already banging, you know, you, you just easily start like it's an intro, you know, just slowly. And if this intro is really cool, this starts to be stamped in your mind and you will try to do the same thing the day after. <laughs> and that's something I wanted. Everything works. Okay, shut down. That's it. We do the sound check, we do together. Of course, sound check doesn't need to be necessary a mastering engineering. I, Thanks God I worked with a professional musician. Everyone knows. With Sebastian, it's like this. With Donato, for instance, I use his ears, not my ears. So I really <laughs> ship Donato, send Donato <laughs> in the middle of the room. And just, I don't say anything. I don't, I don't say to him, oh, is it this too loud or not? I just uh, waiting his information because I know that... Uh, in our music, what he hear, it's what I hear. What he wants, it's what I want. Mm. So I don't have any doubt, you know? Mm. Uh, so that's, uh, that's something, if you work with a professional musician who has experience as a DJ, they know how these things works. Because uh, every sound system works different. Every, sound, every room of a club works different. It's uh, even, you have to work in a general way because when you do sound check, the room is empty. When you fill with the people, the sound is completely different. This is a general knowledge that everyone who does live or play, they after a while they knows. Um, I want to touch on something you mentioned uh, towards the beginning of that answer about being disciplined in just a few machines. Um, and I guess it I read in another interview that you did that it took you some years to gain the confidence with your machines to be able to get to a place where you know kind of what's going to happen if you adjust something or patch something. Um, can you talk a bit about that 
that learning process of like disciplining yourself with just these machines to, to kind of get to the place where you have that foundation? Yes, yes, definitely. This is, uh, I think it's the most fun part. People uh, told me like, yeah, uh, uh, I think if you have, uh, if you consider, let's say like a machine, like a, a modular system, they told me you can do many things and that it can work. But if you have like a synthesizer and a drum machine, a drum machine is a drum machine and that's what you can do it. And I said, no, because I mean, if I said I use two machines, doesn't mean that I don't use effects and I can use many things I want. Mm -hmm. So the goal that I like to use is uh, try to make uh, sounds in an unconventional way also. Don't take a kick to make a kick. I can have uh, my original sound on a channel of a mixer and then I have other 20 channels which are only send these sounds that's going on other things. Mm -hmm. And the original sounds is even off. And then you can hear this huge melody or track that is coming from a sound that they, if you mute everything, you hear meh, 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 and it's what? <laughs> you know, everything was coming from like a sound that uh, doesn't have any, any clue, you know, it's the way that you use it. And then to start to develop making chain where, where you are really uh, following just few things, you, you are, you are, you are must to get everything from there. And so your, your focus is completely different. But to do so, it's not just like playing around. Of course, to do so, you decide, okay, I have those two machines. First, I, if it's something that I'm not playing so much with them, I start playing around, get the feeling of what the machine and the potential of the machine, what does. Some machine, you know, has this uh, subtle function, you know, shift function which honestly I don't like it I tend to forget it after two days you know <laughs> I want just like easy things mm -hmm. because I learned like less is more for me and with easy things I'm able to get really complex stuff with the mm -hmm. complex stuff I got lost yeah <laughs> so, that's uh, something that usually <laughs> happens this is my rule <laughs> and so what about DJing where does that come into play in in this sort of you know, at the beginning of the conversation of this interview, you mentioned that it's kind of a whole different realm for you. Is that just because it's not concerning your own music necessarily? Or what is the reason behind that? No, no, I mean, it's, there, the, um, it's still, there is also something that uh, comes from both sides, the way, of course, that now you are able to listen when you mixed some frequency, the way you cut, you are very surgery mm -hmm. somehow, you know. But you don't need to be a mastering engineer. You need just to be someone who knows to how to play and right. play for a long time. It's uh, it, it it's give me a different kind of. Uh, em I'm talking more in an emotional way. Right. In a way, it's uh, it's uh, still really make me so excited, but uh, it's completely different. So if I have to say a DJ set all night long mm -hmm. playing. And at the same side, you put live set all night long. The emotions are completely different. So that, that that's that's the thing. It's they cannot be compared, you know, because it's something that uh, even on DJ, it's all it's all yourself, you know. But most of the things, it's like the intuition of a track that you want to play at the exact moment on a path on a 
voyage on a trip that you're building, but mm -hmm. the music that you're playing, it's making everything, you know, also if you're playing a nice tune in the right moment, good for you that you play the tracks in a good way in the right moment, but the tracks itself is doing the job. Right. On a live, on a live set, it's different. It's all, you are going on a stage naked. It's all you. Whatever you do, improvised or you bring, it's all you. And it's a kind of different of approach of satisfaction. And nowadays, sometimes I think I don't know if uh, when people ask me if I have to consider DJ or live performer, because over this year, both things are same level. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I would like to go for the next month more on live set than DJing. Uh -huh. This doesn't mean that I get annoyed from DJ, but it's I'm more excited on doing that. And sometimes, you know, I I want to be back on DJ. Right now, I'm they are like one, one, like uh, they are balanced. I like to do both. So how is all of this informing your identity as an artist? Like are all of these different sides or fields necessary to creating this kind of one whole identity as Neil? Uh, well, uh, the thing is, uh, which is now this, it's a bit even difficult because um, I actually never, never thought about uh, the identity at all, you know, because uh, sometimes I thought I maybe I may I was wrong that when didn't think about the name because I I put everything, everything I do under under the name of Neil, mm -hmm. and for and I understood over the years that for people it's difficult, you know, because they don't know it's techno, it's uh, ambient, it's ambient techno, it's uh, wow, it's pretty banging, or it's you know, because for me it's just me and I do what I what I feel to do it, and a lot of people you know have different name of of different page of themselves. I never never thought about it, and. Uh, I always did just what I, I like to do it. And at the end, uh, the identity came by itself. Uh, what's, uh, I think, uh, the, um, uh, the link in all of this, there is something that, uh, of course, there is this kind of uh, organic components that uh, I have on everything, even even of a tracks that uh, maybe can be more uh, techno and more like, uh, let's say, cold, you know? But the original sounds from when these kind of sounds are coming, it's completely organic. That there is all these parts that I, I just do what I wanted. I, I don't, let's say, I never thought so much on myself like sitting down and say what is my identity what it's combined <laughs> together i think that what's made this identity it's something that i should like it a lot what i'm doing i'm a really super perfectionist try to that's not a good way uh, because perfection you know doesn't exist it when i when i do something that really really excite me then means that that's it's part of my identity of what I'm doing, and uh, uh, and I like it when it's taking different kind of uh, challenge or different kind of direction, like uh, you know voices can be ambient as well, no? Like LF LF fifty eight mm -hmm. can be also ambient, uh, but they are two different things. 
uh, also my own side of ambient it's more uh, intrusive you know introspective you know and more mm-hmm. can be more uh, dark and i like also that direction on a techno it can be more dark and fast like can be more like soft and ambient uh, it depends by my mood but uh, you can recognize uh my uh, my own things in the music and if you just take it takes it oh that's it see the way i do the the kind of a groovy way because for me everything i do need to be groovy i come from mm-hmm. south italy so you know it's <laughs> uh, it's groovy it's always groovy i don't like something that it's so static you know it needs to be so putting also the funky into the dark music somehow that's something that i can um, if I listen to my music on the back, I can really notice and I can tell you. It's like analyzing myself, but it's uh, I have to analyze it. It comes just natural without thinking it. I didn't. I, I think I didn't get the point that of my career that I arrived and I'm able to say what I am, what I'm doing. You know? Sure. I think uh, I should do so many things still. That uh, maybe if we do this in ten years, I can come. <laughs> I can come back. <laughs> been listening to neil for air podcast episode 53 we'll be back on the last wednesday of the month so check back in march for another installment in the meantime you can follow us on instagram at at underscore air podcast or subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com slash air thanks for listening mm-hmm.